This is an ABC podcast. This is the WA Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti on ABC Radio WA. Very good afternoon to you. Later this hour, just after half past 12, a great conversation that you can be part of here on the text. We'll catch up with Jeff Pearson. He's the president of the livestock section with WA Farmers. And he's saying the best way to address the current dry conditions and the lack of value for sheep is to fast track new live sheep export opportunities into the Middle East. Jeff Pearson will be here to state his case and also live in the studio will be the State Agriculture Minister, Jackie Jarvis. So we'll see what she thinks of that proposal. And you can be part of the conversation on the text 0448 922604. That is after half past 12 today. A little bit to get through before then though because you are going to join a Queensland droving team who's moving a mob of cattle more than 2,000 kilometres in the same way it was done 100 years ago. For a lot of people, riding a horse on a droving trip sounds quite appealing. Yeah, the romance, um, we, you know, I try and tell these people to come work for me. It's not all that easy out here, you know. The big days, you get up early, it's hot. A lot of them get what we call two-week orders. The first week's a buzz, the second week they start to get tired and the third week they're gone. So we call it two-week orders. We'll catch up with that droving team shortly here on the Country Hour. Six past twelve. Some Western Australian grain farmers are now realising just how much damage recent frosts have done to their crops. Darren Kilminster farms about 250 kilometres east of Perth at Bruce Rock. He says his crops took a bit of a battering about four or five weeks ago when they had some very cold nights. It was really good season rainfall-wise up to about end of June, start of July, and then the tap was turned off. And, yeah, the crops have done pretty well over that for the 190 mil of rain that we've had for the year. And then, yeah, it must have been late August, we had a couple of real frosty nights, or one in particular on a Thursday night, Wednesday night, Thursday morning, and, yeah, that just smoked it. So how much frost damage has there been? We've had probably, I reckon, 10% of our wheat program has been affected. And of that 10%, there's 100% that have gone, which is only a small amount, um, but ranges from 100% back down to 20% as the lowest frost that I can find at this stage. And barley as well, been affected 15 to 20%. We checked some barley yesterday on top of a hill and, yeah, the top, Four grains on both sides, nothing there. There was just like dust, really. And with some of the some of the blocks that are quite frosty, and we try and put them in late as well, and yeah, manage them. Yeah, there's there's not much in the heads. It's just a cutoff line. It's yeah, elevation. Once you get to a certain point in the paddock, it picks up, and there's there's no frost. So with this frost damage, what is that meant for your season? Oh, I went from probably being average to below average now in yield. You can probably lose two, three, four hundred grand. When was the last time you had a frost event this significant? It was probably on par with the 19. Yeah, and then in 2016, we probably lost 60% over the whole program. For the crops that haven't been damaged, how are they looking? 
Yeah, they're probably going to be about where our five-year average is in yield in cereals. Looking to the rest of the growing season, what are you hoping for to get you over the line? Um, no weather during harvest. No quality <laughs> downgrades uh, would be great. Yes. Yeah, so, and we did back off a little bit this year in the cropping, running more sheep. So that's probably going to hit us as well with the sheep price not being so so great at the moment. And, yeah, so, no, just a, just a good run till Christmas so we can all – have a Chrissy together, Christmas together, and um, get to the coast in January for holidays. Sounds all right, like a plan. Bruce Rock farmer Darren Kilminster speaking to Sophie Johnson about the damage caused by frosts towards the end of August. And if you had some frost, is it now obvious how much damage has been done? Let me know on the text, 0448 922604. And I've also heard that some grain growers in the Midwest just saying they were surprised how much damage recent strong winds did to their crops, snapping dry crops and causing significant damage. Is that you? Let me know. 0448 Text through and let me know. 10 past 12. Very significant. And shortly catching up with the latest from the newsroom, and then checking weather conditions right around Western Australia. First, though, did you know that trucks being driven in Australia can now be just a little bit wider? The federal government has followed Europe, increasing the maximum permissible width of trucks from 2.5 metres to 2.55 metres Chair of the Australian Trucking Association, David Smith, says five centimetres might not sound like very much, but it's important because it will give them access to safer, greener trucks. Very significant. It's going to do a number of things, actually. It will introduce models, model of trucks into this country that have not been economical to bring in, firstly. Secondly, it's going to allow additional safety features that haven't been economical to engineer into a vehicle previously. So therefore, we're going to have a greater choice of vehicles and we're going to have safer vehicles. But probably just as importantly, it's a step in the right direction or the first step into moving into reduced emission vehicles because they invariably are up to 2.55 wide as well. And I'm talking about battery electric prime movers, just for example. So it's going to do quite – it is very significant for the industry, yes. So on the, on the safety front, having that extra five centimetres permissible, that means the manufacturers can bolt on things like uh, sensors that might, might sense vehicles in, in truck blind spots and – and by bolting those sensors on with the extra five centimetres, you're not going to go over the Australian width limit? Absolutely. That's that's exactly where we're going to be, Angus. And just for example, uh, sensors that can detect vehicles alongside of you that you can't, cannot see in your mirrors, because um, that's a key point. There is blind spots in mirrors. These sensors that will be able to pick up vehicles alongside the truck and actually alert the driver that there's a vehicle there while travelling on. Those additional safety features that have been difficult to employ in, in under vehicles in Australia or, or to engineer in will now be able to do so. So it's a huge safety benefit here.
Now, this width change, that only applies to the truck or the prime mover, not, not to trailers. Do you also need to have an increased width for trailers? Yes. The, that's the easy answer, yes. Longer term, it's something that we need to probably focus on. And to just give you an example of a refrigerated trailer, if we were to go to 2.6, we would actually be able to double the amount of insulation in the walls of refrigerated trailer, thereby, again, saving more fuel and keeping product at a much more constant temperature, just by way of example. So one of the next steps is we, we need to focus on trailers and secondly, we probably need to focus on 2.6. And, David, I suppose there's a bit of an attitude in the broader community out there that, which is a bit anti-truck or anti-big truck, but... Bigger trucks, we're talking about width in this case, but but also we're seeing longer trucks, obviously. They're more efficient, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. You know, with efficiency, less fuel, less emissions, and really that's where industry wants to be. We, we don't want to be big emitters. You know, so we really do need to get on this road of reducing our emissions, having safer trucks, and some of the things you mentioned in terms of productivity – um, you know, we, we go longer. The minute we go road train, we take one whole truck off the road, if that makes sense. So uh, productivity is pretty key, obviously, on our agenda. You know, if we can reduce the number of trucks on the road, reduce our emissions, all in the mix of things, that's the space we want to be in. Yes. David Smith, he's the chair of the Australian Trucking Association and he was speaking to Angus Verley. 14 past 12. You're with Belinda Varasgetti on the Country Hour on ABC Local Radio WA. Pongamia trees have the potential to be Northern Australia's most profitable crop. Well, at least that's what Peter Wiley thinks. He's from a company called AgriPath. Pongamia trees are native to Australia and commonly found in the suburbs of Brisbane. And the seeds are rich in oil that could be used for all sorts of things. Well, Pongamia is an oilseed tree, which um, can produce a, quite a high yield of seed, which has got 40% of oil in it. And so the main interest in Pongamia is to produce oil for renewable fuels so that we can produce um, biodiesel or um, aviation fuel, which is, uh, comes from biosource. But as well as that, there, there are quite a few other products coming out of the process of growing the all-seed tree pongamia, and um, the first of which is the high-protein meal, which is of particular interest in the cattle industry in Northern Territory. Feeding high-protein meal in the late winter, for instance, can reduce the methane output of um, cattle as well as um, improve the production. So we, we now see pongamia in a very profitable situation with quite high prices for renewable fuels, quite good prices for carbon, carbon offsets, which it produces a lot of, and um, there is money comes into the producer from uh, the high protein meal and the pods which are separated from the seed in, in the process. You believe it could be one of the more profitable crops to be grown in northern Australia, yeah? Yes, certainly at the target yield that we sort of envisage of about nine tonnes per hectare, there is a um, very profitable return of uh, something like $6,000 a hectare uh, from the production of um, Pongamia. And partly 
it's quite good because the, the costs of growing it once it's established are, are fairly low. You don't have to plant it every year. It's a legume. It, it produces own nitrogen. So the, the main costs are just in weed control and harvesting. Are there any commercial plantations in Australia right now? No, there's no commercial plantings being managed at the moment. The biggest plantation is in Paraguay, uh, where a Dutch company is um, planting trees to get up towards 50 million in the next few years. 50 million trees? 50 million trees. There's been trials in Australia over the years. Why don't you think it's made that leap into commercialisation? Yes, there have been trials and we visited uh, quite a lot of trials in our studies over the last uh, couple of years. We learned a lot from those uh, trials on Pongamium. But its um, main issue, I think, is it's new, it's different, it's, it's out there. The idea of um, a broiled acre oilseed crop coming from a tree, even though growing is reasonably simple. It's because is it, is it native to Australia? It is. It is, yeah. Yes. So the, there are quite a few different um, lines of um, Pongamia found in the wild in northern Australia. But the, it is found across uh, Southeast Asia and particularly in India where they've used Pongamia um, oil in India to um, run little engines for villages to uh, pump water and generate a bit of electricity. They've used the Pongamia oil there for many years. Now, I assume not every tree is the same. Can you tell us about some of the work going on to be able to clone certain lines so that if you were to commercialise it, you could hopefully end up with lines of trees that uh, produce as much tonnage as possible? Yes, well, that's, that's the key to success with Pongamia is to find the elite trees, high-yielding trees, and then to clone them. And... Um, it's only in the last few years that they've uh, developed uh, commercially um, uh, viable methods of cloning them. And so we, we now have that um, process um, largely under control, we think, so that we can produce millions of trees in Australia. And um, there's a company, Bioenergy Plantations Australia, that's producing new lines of um, Pongamium right. at um, north of Brisbane. And... Um, they're currently gearing up to produce millions of trees here in Queensland. For what end? Is there, is there a company getting ready to grab hold of them? And, and there are several companies that have, show, have shown interest in Pongamia and they're doing the um, background um, research and uh, business studies to um, get to the point of um, decision-making on, on new projects, but... Um, Right. A couple of those companies are almost there. So in the next five years, for example, what would you hope to see, Peter? In the next five years, I, I would e- hope and expect to see uh, five or more uh, quite large projects in Queensland and the north and Northern Territory or Northern, or northern Western Australia. Those projects will, will probably start in the next few years. And are the markets ready? For example, if I went and harvested a bunch of Pongomia trees this afternoon... What do I do with it? Where do I sell it? Well, it needs a processing plant, and that's why um, in our studies we used a project of 5,000 hectares or more to justify building a processing plant, mm-hmm. uh, in other words, to end up with the feedstock for biodiesel. There are, incidentally, several biodiesel plants in Australia, including one in Darwin, that um, is um, an active 
they're in mothballs. So um, I believe there's there's a demand for biodiesel if it if it can be put on the market in Australia uh, profitably, but uh, at the present time, uh, much higher prices are likely to be obtained by selling the oil to Europe, and um, where they are producing a lot of biofuel. And just quickly on the mention of Darwin, your liaising with the gas company Impex, are you able to tell us a little bit about that? The gas company Impex is one of the companies that is doing um, uh, due diligence work um, to um, confirm that they uh, want to invest in the um, Pongamia tree. So they're they're investigating the potential yields and uh, any management problems with it. Right. Because it's a company in the energy space. Yes. So its interest is in the biofuels, I assume. Yes, they're interested in energy, they're interested in offsets, and they're, and they're here in, in Australia. Peter Wiley from the company AgriPath speaking to Matt Bran. 22 past 12 here on the Country Hour. An update from the newsroom for you shortly. First, though, as we move closer to what's predicted to be a very dry summer in the eastern states and also parts of WA, Cattle producers are trying to make the most of the feed they have left in their paddocks. Others have already decided to move cattle to better pastures. It's a long and slow process, but one outback droving team is walking 2,000 head from the Gulf of Carpentaria to central west Queensland and taking advantage of the feed along the state's stock route. Oh, I love it. Like, where else would you want to be, honestly, you know? Mornings like this, it's just insane, yeah, for sure. There's always something going on, you know? Like, sometimes you miss, you know, talking to people, but it's great. Yeah, just wide open spaces. Yeah, I love it. I really do, My name is Madeline McCosker, and I'm standing in a paddock along the stock route between Longreach and Winton. I'm surrounded by 2,000 head of Brahmin cattle. While it sounds like there'd be a lot of noise, it's actually very quiet. Dust fills the cloudless blue sky. Drovers on horseback walk with the mob, slowly pushing them down a narrow dirt road. The quiet of the outback is interrupted only by the shuffle of hooves on black soil, a crackly message over a two-way, or a whistle to the working dogs. It's like you'd see in an old western, but this is modern cattle droving. And Bill Little has been droving Queensland's long paddock for 40 years. Married to the mob. <laughs> oh, it's full on. Like We do the same thing every day. We get up early, we look after the cows all day, we try and get to bed early, just do it all again next day. Um, it has its good points and its bad points, but I'm still doing it, so it must be all right. Bill and his small team of drovers are walking this mob from Julia Creek in northwest Queensland, more than 2,100 kilometres south, to a property near Tambo in central west Queensland. They've already been on the road for three months, and doing under 20 kilometres a day, they won't arrive at Tambo until early November. Yeah, bulldog. Even with the help of 23 dogs and about a dozen horses, it's slow going for the team of four. We don't even know what day it is half the time. It's probably not everyone's cup of tea. If you want to test out your um, relationship with your partner, just go driving for a while. (laughs) And even though from the outside it may seem like something from a movie, Bill says the romance of droving wears off quickly. Well, you know, we get that all the time with the people I employ. 
um, they come with that notion that you're riding along, whistling a tune and boiling the billy and all that, but they don't realise there's a lot of work in the job, especially if you do it properly, you know. And it's strangely enough, the more work you do, the easier it gets. But, yeah, the romance, um, we, you know, I try and tell these people that come work for me, it's not all that easy out here, you know. The big days, you get up early, it's hot. A lot of them get what we call two-week-itis. The first week's a buzz, the second week they start to get tired and the third week they're gone. So we call it two-week-itis. With El Nino officially declared, cattle prices continue to fall as producers prepare for the oncoming dry. For the first time since 2019, the Eastern Young Cattle Indicator sits below $4 per kilogram carcass weight. Longreach Livestock Agent Boyd Curran is optimistic that prices won't stay low for long. Oh, look, I think the seasonal outlook is, is um, having a major impact on what's happening with cattle prices at the moment. I feel very fortunate that we've got uh, beautiful feed and we're able to take advantage um, of the lower cattle prices. And I have no doubt that when we see a break in the season, a widespread break in the season, we're going to see a major correction in these cattle prices. Back at camp and the droving team is up at the crack of dawn, packing up and preparing for another day on the long paddock. After a quick cup of coffee as the sun is rising, they saddle their horses and take down the temporary fencing. In no time, the cattle are back on the road. Young drover Lucy Spranger didn't grow up on the land, but after hearing about the life of a drover from a friend, she knew she was meant for that life. I had dreamed of it for a long time actually, yeah, when I was 15, a Lily Pilly, a friend of mine, a neighbour actually back home, she was working for Bill and told me about it and I was like, far out, one day I've got to do that. And then I was driving up for a job in Mount Isa and I met Bill along the way and he said he's a drover and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, got to go there. <laughs> and yeah, so I'd actually heard about it a while ago and thought one day and yeah, now here I am. <laughs> and to her, there is no better job. Oh, I love it. Like, where else would you want to be, honestly, you know? Mornings like this, it's just insane, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it all just depends on where we are, what we're doing. But usually, get up nice and early, have a cup of tea along the way, have the horses walking them along. It's all pretty um, just roving, really. Yeah. Droving every day, all day. Yeah, they keep us busy, that's for sure, and always entertaining. There's always something going on, you know? Bit of banter, something with the cattle. Yeah, they're good to work with for sure. It's pretty good actually. Like sometimes you miss, you know, talking to people, but you've got these mates and we duck into the pub along the way and things, but it's great. Yeah, just wide open spaces. Yeah, I love it. I really do. Yeah. Yeah, she's loving it, isn't it? A young drover, Lucy Spranger, ending that report from Madeline McCosker. 28 past 12 here on the Country Hour and an important meeting held today, this morning, and the Agriculture Minister, Jackie Jarvis, was there. It was held at Deep Herd headquarters and a lot of industry representatives at the meeting to talk about dry conditions here in Western Australia and also what sort of strategies or assistance might be needed, say, over the next sort of four to six months as a lot of producers try and work out what they're going to do with their sheep. Uh, not a lot of market opportunities right now. So we'll have a really good discussion about that just after half past 12 today. And you can be part of it too. The Agriculture Minister, Jackie Jarvis, is going to be live here in the Country Hour studio. So if there is something on your mind, let me know. 0448 Text through and have your say.
28 past 12, Jonathan Beale is here with the news headlines. Thanks, Belinda. The Reserve Bank has left the cash rate on hold for a fourth consecutive month but has not ruled out further increases. Australia's benchmark interest rate remains at 4.1% in a decision which was widely expected. The new RBA Governor, Michelle Bullock, says interest rates may need to rise further to ensure inflation falls back to within its 2 to 3% target band in a reasonable time frame. Several months after urgent care clinics promised by the federal government were due to be introduced, less than half have actually opened their doors. The government promised at least 50 bulk billing after-hours clinics at the last election. To date, 23 have opened and another 10 have been announced. And the Prime Minister has accused the No campaign of undermining its position on the Indigenous voice to Parliament by spreading misinformation. Australians will vote on whether to enshrine a First Nations advisory body in the Constitution on October the 14th. And polling suggests the no vote is ahead. Anthony Albanese says the no campaign is talking about everything that's not in the voice proposal and nothing that is. More news, Belinda, at one o'clock. Jonathan, thank you so much for that update. Half past 12 here on the Country Hour. And a good conversation about the state of seasonal conditions here in Western Australia, particularly focusing in on the ag sector. Uh, with the situation with the sheep. A lot of farmers carrying a lot more sheep than they usually do at this time and really struggling to find a market for those sheep. Uh, We'll hear from Jeff Pearson. He is the Livestock President with WA Farmers. He's been part of that meeting held at Deep Herd headquarters this morning and he has got a proposal that he was going to put to the Agriculture Minister, Jackie Jarvis. It's about trying to get more live sheep export opportunities and markets opened up ASAP, which would really solve that situation, according to Jeff. You'll hear his case and the Minister, Jackie Jarvis, here in the studio too. She was part of that meeting. Also, just before the news at one, it's off to Muche for the results of the sheep market. And Terry Birkin will be along with the details on the yarding and the prices. 29 to 1, it's off to the Bureau of Meteorology. Angeline Prasad, how's it looking around the Southwest Land Division? Good afternoon, Belinda. Well, we're heading into a summer pattern for the remainder of the week. Uh, we've got a West Coast trough developing from tomorrow and a firm ridge of high pressure developing as well across the south of the state. So a combination of these two systems is going to bring uh, much uh much warmer temperatures. So by Friday, we're looking at daytime temperatures through much of the southwest land division, reaching the low to mid-30s. The hot temperatures are likely to last for a couple of days. So starting on the warming does start on Thursday, but the really warm temperatures happen on Friday and Saturday before we see a gradual cooler change move through the southwest land division um, early next week on Sunday, Monday. Until then, um, there's going to be very light showers confined to the south coast. The rest of the southwest land division is going to dry out. All right. And when you say cooler conditions, any rain in that that you can see, Angeline, or not really, just cooler temperatures? Now, probably we might see uh, some light showers developing on Monday and Tuesday. It's about a week out, so there's some uncertainty on how much rain we'll see, probably from Tuesday onwards. But as that West Coast trough moves inland uh, early next week, it might grab a little bit of moisture further north, so could bring uh, light showers uh, to much of the Southwest Land Division. But even then, it's going to be on the lighter side, so at best up to a millimetre through those agricultural areas. 
The south coast is likely to see a few more millimetres, but at this stage it's looking pretty negligible, Melinda. All right, let's have a look at northern and eastern parts. How's it looking this afternoon and for the rest of the week? Well, it's hot, dry and windy across the north of the state as well. We might see a few light showers over northern Kimberley today, but from tomorrow onwards, uh, for the remainder of the week, we'll see uh, the usual uh, diurnal thunderstorms that we see uh, during summer develop over northern Kimberley. So we're moving into a summer pattern across the north as well uh, for this week. The the thunderstorms are likely to stay confined to closer to the north coast of the Kimberley tomorrow and Thursday, but potentially move inland uh, across uh, inland parts of the Kimberley on Friday before contracting off to the weekend. So a little bit of respite uh, from those very hot temperatures. Um, elsewhere um, across uh, the rest of northern WA, it's it's dry, hot and windy and that's not likely to change for the next few days, Belinda. All right, and then back to this afternoon, Angeline, any warnings? Yes, so uh, no land warnings, but we do have uh, coastal wind warnings out uh, for the uh, Gascoigne and Ningaloo coasts and uh, from the uh, the Esperance and the Eucla coast. So strong wind warnings through there, but elsewhere it's uh, it's pretty calm. Thank you, Angeline. Appreciate that. It's now 26 to 1 here on the country. Our Richard Hudson in the studio to go through the rainfall figures. Yeah, no rainfall at all anywhere in the northern and eastern forecast districts, but in the southwest land division forecast districts, a little bit around, but not in the central west where there was nothing. In the lower west, there was one to three mils at most locations, and then in the southwest, one to four mils. And then Manjumup had six, Northcliffe eight, Quinnan up five. And in the southern coastal region, Albany Airport recorded seven mils, Dalyalup Park 12, Denmark 10. Esperance had between 11 and 22. And that 22 in the township of Esperance was actually the highest total for the last 24 hours. King River and Mount Barker recorded eight mils, Many Peaks nine, Narrow Cup West six, Oakmarsh Farm 15, Pleasant Valley 7, Tolina Downs 10, the Duke with 11. And then in the central wheat belt, no rainfall at all. And in the Great Southern region, a few ones to threes around all over the place. And then Franklin recorded seven and Nia being six mils, but over two days. Thanks for that, Richard. 25 to 1. You're with Belinda Varischetti on the Country Hour on ABC Local Radio, WA. Just before the news at one o'clock, it's off to Muche for the results of the sheep market. I think numbers were up a little bit, uh, around about a thousand, I think, on last week's numbers. Just over six and a half thousand sheep and lambs penned for sale today. So Terry Birkin going through that yarding and taking a look at the prices for you just before the news at one. First, though, the president of the livestock section of WA Farmers says the best way to address the current dry conditions and the lack of value for sheep is to fast-track new live sheep export opportunities in the Middle East. Jeff Pearson is calling on the State Agriculture Minister, Jackie Jarvis, to lobby her federal counterparts to make this market opportunity a reality and ease some of the pressure on WA farms. WA's dry seasonal conditions and the extent of emergency issues over the next sort of four to six months were discussed with key industry representatives at Deep Herd headquarters this morning, and Jeff was at that meeting. Jeff, who called this meeting? It's a bit of both. You know, we as, as an organisation have uh, reached out to the Minister to say that we need 
to start addressing some of these situations moving forward. And I and think that the, the earlier we can get onto it, the better it's going to be. Uh, and the Minister has listened and, and called a meeting as well. And how do you assess how she's handled the situation that the industry is in up until this point? Well, we've been dealing with some pressures for some time and the Minister's had this position for you know nearly 12 months now. Uh, we feel as though that we haven't been heard. Uh, we feel as though that we need the industry to be addressed under the situations that we've been dealt with over the last sort of eight to 12 months. And I think that it's timely that we all get together and, uh, and try and get some resolutions. Is the industry in crisis? We're definitely in crisis, um, not only with, with markets the way they've got, and also the climatic conditions, not only in the West Coast, but on the East Coast as well, that, that are hindering, hindering our ability to be able to function uh, as an industry. So what comes out of this meeting? What would come out of it that would practically make a difference to the situation the industry is facing today? Well, we can look at governments and, and they can look at us and say, well, what can we do? Can we help with the mental health issue? We can we help with subsidies and can we help with water and feed and that sort of stuff? I mean, we're, we're heading into a an absolute peak out in fodder uh, and grain so uh, and, and lack of pasture. Uh, within the system. So the ability to be able to compensate in that space is going to be very expensive and, and who knows where the end's going to be. The solution to the problem is we, we look at markets. We, we have the ability to shift large amounts of livestock out of this system under the conditions we're dealing with at the moment. We've got a huge backlog of last year's product. We're going into a, into a situation where we're going to potentially have another backlog of, of this year's product going into the spring lamb season. We need to shift large, large amounts of livestock. And I've said on many occasions that the live export industry not only provides a competition, but it's a tool, a very valuable tool, to be able to shift large amounts of livestock out of the system under these conditions. And we need to do it. We've got the market sitting there, but we have delay in the department. We have delay within this government where the government's put a sour taste in everybody's mouth, but we have the ability to make this happen, and it's not happening. So you want more live export ships going out of WA to those Middle Eastern markets? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, that will solve the problem. We, we are in a situation now we have a value of a sheep that can't be processed in this country as zero. And that's a problem. You've got all the implementation, implications of how to get these stock removed from where they need to be or you have an alternative to give them a value and put them into a market. Now, the government needs to look at these markets, fast-track them and get them happening because the want from Australian sheep and livestock, for that matter, is there. The world demand is there. But there's these, these handbrakes, these blockades that we're dealing with at the moment within government and with department is stopping that from happening. And that is the quick fix, most humane, practical solution. This is about getting a market to remove livestock out of the system on the boats. What about opening new markets too? There has been talk that some of the live sheep exporters have been looking at the potential of opening, say, the Saudi market. Is that something that would make a difference? That's right. That's exactly what I'm saying, is that you, we, we, have, we have issues within the Amanian market, which can take in, in excess of 25,000 sheep a month. We've got a, a looming Saudi market, which has been, you know, three years in the making to try and get something happening, which could take up to 400,000 sheep. Does that solve our problem in Western Australia? Yes, it does. Between now and, 
in six months or eight months' time, we shift you know up to half a million sheep out of the out of the country, out of the state, not only Western Australia but on the east coast. It solves everybody's problem, and it takes an animal worth nothing to an animal worth something. So, what does that do for the economy? You times half a million by forty-five dollars head for shipping weather. It puts money back into the system without having a, a depleted industry that it's heading towards. What's the appetite for that? You were in Canberra recently, just in the last couple of weeks. I'm sure this was uh, one of the conversations you had. What's the appetite to open a market like Saudi? It's there. It's there. Saudi has been has had a want for Australian sheep for a very long time. It had a very good relationship with it back in 2012, and it was a large market. They've had to look at alternatives in other countries to be able to supply the market, so their market hasn't stopped but they want Australian product. They've always wanted Australian product, but they have issues within the department um, of trying to get that, that situation going again. And I think that the government needs to put pressure back on the department to make this move again, because that's going to solve the problem. 19 to 1, this is The Country Hour on the ABC WA. Jeff Pearson, Livestock President with WA Farmers, is here today talking about the current dry conditions and the lack of value for sheep. Now, he thinks the obvious solution is to fast-track new live sheep export opportunities in the Middle East, and he's calling on the State Agriculture Minister, Jackie Jarvis, to help the WA sheep industry lobby the federal government and the Federal Department to make this happen. The Minister will be here shortly, so you'll hear what she thinks. She can be part of the conversation too. The text 0448 922 Jeff, from the talks you had in Canberra recently, is the Federal Department of Agriculture itself interested in opening new live sheep export markets, the, the Saudi market? Is it eager to help? I think... The discussion that we had with them, they're cautious. They don't want any instances, I think, in country. But we have the mechanism, we have the resources to be able to combat that, and it's simple as, as putting people on the ground. Do you feel the Federal Department is on your side, though, is on the side of agriculture to open these markets? I think it's difficult for them to get their head around the process. The process is that we have a, a major disaster looming within this country more so than having issues in market. And I think if we can address the issues in market, we solve all problems. What's the major disaster you're talking about? The drought we're, we're, we're moving into at the moment. Mm. And what are the like implications said, of that? If, if we can't find markets for the sheep, what does that mean practically on a farm? The solution is nothing. Is nothing. Is If we can't afford to run these livestock, then the alternative has to happen. They have to be destroyed. Have we seen any sign of that? There's been a lot of talk and through the grapevine that that is happening now. Are farmers shooting sheep? Do you know of that? Look, there, there has been some situations, yes. Uh, you know, you look at the, the economics of, of the alternatives and they aren't, they aren't there at the moment. So if you haven't got a market for a sheep, the alternatives are pretty much in that space. What do you want to hear from the State Agriculture Minister today? What do you want her to do? as far as action after this meeting? We're not going in there with guns blazing. We're going in there to talk to the minister, to have her understand the whole economics and the situation of where we are with the situations that have been impinged by us, by the government, by the situations that uh, have been slow within the departments, and also just to listen to all the alternatives. Do you want her in there lobbying 
for agriculture in this state, lobbying the federal government, the federal department of agriculture to look at the possibility of getting more sheep, live sheep to international markets and the possibility of opening the Saudi market. Absolutely, absolutely. Take the fear out of this this industry by the fact that it's it's not going to be an election commitment to phase out. We don't want the government to tell us what to do. We want the government to help us continue on in the trade because that's going to be the cheapest option. That's going to be the best option for everybody is to open these markets up that we've had historically and we've used this tool in the live trade to be able to combat any situations that we're dealing with at the moment, e.g. climate, into, into market to be able to solve the problem. So at the moment, does this state government, does the Cook government understand agriculture? We've been dealt some pretty bad blows. And like I said, we're a resilient mob and we can, we can keep moving with it, but it's getting a bit tiring. And we want to make sure that they do understand because uh, what's happening out there in the bush and regional areas is very dire at the moment and I think they need to be held accountable for some of the decisions and we need to rectify them. Good to talk to you, Jeff. Thank you. Thanks, Belinda. Jeff Pearson, he is the Livestock President with WA Farmers. Quarter to one here on the Country Hour and the leader of the WA Liberal Party, Libby Metham, is also calling on the Cook government to fight for the future of live sheep exports and try and convince the federal government to reverse its policy to end the trade. Libby Metham was at the Mushay sheep market this morning to talk to producers. There's a lot of uncertainty down here at the sale yards. Many know that the prices are, are down. What we're hearing from farmers is that they want the Western Australian government to also fight harder to keep the live export trade afloat. Peter from York put it quite well. Peter from York said there's no point in having crisis talks if you've got a government that's not prepared to listen. We need to see a Premier who's acknowledging that there is a link between the Federal Labor Government's decision to ban the live export industry and the confidence and, and fall in market prices that we're seeing here at Minshay. Have some of the farmers you've chatted to mentioned what they think of the actions from the State Government and from Jackie Jarvis and from the Premier? Well, the minute, for the Minister for Agriculture to point to a, a department website last week was a real slap in the face for many farmers down here who uh, have continued to work hard for the industry. We want to see, as a community, we want to see farmers continue to farm here in Western Australia. Many are, you know, really looking at what their futures will be like going forward looking at a different mix, whether they'll be just going to, to crops or, or not continuing to farm after generations and generations of, of being in, de, in the industry as well. They're shaking their heads at, at what they see as a political decision and it, it's really uh, disappointing to see. What they want to see is the government fight harder to keep this trade afloat and they're really disappointed of the comments made from the government at, at a state level, given Western Australia has the most to lose from this political decision made in Canberra. Leader of the WA Liberal Party, Libby Metham with Richard Hudson. 12 minutes to one. The State Agriculture Minister, Jackie Jarvis, is here in the Country Hour studio. A few texts already coming through, but you can be part of it too on 0448 
Uh, Jackie Jarvis, great to have you in the country, our studio to start with. What is your understanding of the situation facing the sheep industry here in Western Australia? Yeah, look, thanks, Belinda, thanks, and thanks for giving me the time. So obviously 2023 has been a, a really patchy season. You know, it's highly variable crops, highly highly variable um, pasture across across the state. And, of course, that we've sort of had that perfect storm now where sheep prices have dropped significantly. We know sheep prices have dropped nationally for lots of reasons, but we now sort of have this issue where that release valve where we used to send a lot of sheep over to the East Coast, which we were doing in the last couple of years, has, has closed. So I'm speaking to farmers all the time. I know there's uh, people with weathers that they, they can't move on. I know that there's people with breeding ewes who are perhaps, you know, five, six, seven years old that have no value. So we have, a, a, as I said, a perfect storm where we've had patchy conditions. But even those farmers who've had good conditions and have got good pasture or good feed on the ground, they still have these these sheep that they need to they need to move on and it's a really crowded market I accept that. Now what impact is the federal government policy to end the live sheep trade having on confidence levels and sheep prices because you've said previously the premier has said the federal agriculture minister has said that this policy has nothing to do with the sheep prices the confidence levels here in western australia the industry doesn't agree with that it is saying it's having a flow on effect can you just update your position. Absolutely. Do you think it's having any impact at all yeah, on the so situation? Look, so look, sheep prices nationally and confidence are, are two different matters. So absolutely sheep farmers in Western Australia are questioning the long-term viability of being sheep farmers. And this current drop in prices is actually forcing them to make decisions earlier than they'd like to. Obviously, the live sheep trade hasn't ended. Obviously, there's still as many sheep going out this year as they were last year. And there was actually more last year than the previous year. So sheep are still going out by lev export. Debates in Parliament about what's causing the drop in prices, whether it's the East Coast El Nino impact and people destocking on the East Coast, is one matter. I absolutely accept that sheep farmers are questioning the long-term viability of being livestock farmers, which to my mind is pretty disappointing. Both the Premier and I have said time and time again we want the live sheep trade to continue. Um, but is it having an effect on prices, on sheep prices? Because the industry argues that the market is determined by expectations and the expectation is that there is a federal government policy to end the trade and that is having a flow on effect to prices here in WA. Do you agree? Look, there are lots of there are lots of things that impact the market. Beef prices have also dropped. But is it having an effect? Is that policy having an effect on sheep prices in WA? I'm not sure. So I, what I can tell you is I know that the red meat market across sheep and beef have dropped considerably. I absolutely accept there's been a drop in confidence about whether people want to be livestock farmers, particularly sheep farmers, moving forward. The important thing is that. You know, WA farming systems are different to the East Coast. We know that the live sheep export provides that relief valve at times like this, which it is at the moment. I think 60,000 sheep went out on the first shipment last week. Sheep are going out, but we absolutely have a really crowded market. It is really difficult for farmers at the moment, and they're having to make really tough decisions. Well, Jeff Pearson says the solution right now is an expansion of the live sheep trade, opening the Saudi market, which he says could take up to 400,000 sheep. Is that the relief valve the industry is looking for? Look, that Will would you lobby for that? Yeah, absolutely, that would help. So I met with Jeff Pearson um, just half an hour ago. Um, I was probably disappointed to read media reports that, that 
indicate that perhaps there's been uh, some sort of blockage in getting approvals through for new live export markets. My view is as long as this trade remains legal, which we know it will for some years to come, as long as this trade is legal, we should be exploring all market opportunities. And if there is a market out there that wants to buy our sheep, our live sheep, then I absolutely want that market to open up. Now, I have contacted Murray Watt this morning on the back of that media report. I haven't had a response back from him yet. He's, he's, I know he's um, on the road, so I expect to speak to him soon about this matter. This on the text from Mick, who says, the excess sheep are better off being sold to the Saudis. Otherwise, if you want to see cruelty to animals, then watch a beautiful lamb being hit on the head and thrown into a pit with its dead mother, because that is what the Labor Party is really asking us to do. So that's going to be the end result of those sheep, like trying to avoid that animal uh, welfare issue if we don't find markets today. Yeah, look, I was sitting around the table with lots of farmers today. You know, we had all of the industry representatives there this morning. Um, I can tell you the overriding message was no one wants to be shooting sheep. I appreciate that at, at some point um, it may become it may become an option. I hear that there is some people already shooting sheep that, that, that they have no commercial value. Um, a quote was, you know, we're trying to hang on as long as possible. We really want to get those sheep through and we're hoping the price goes up. One of the barriers we have, of course, is we're, we're a high-cost transport state. So I've been hearing stories that, you know, it's it's costing, say, $7 for a sheep in Esperance to, to get um, up to live export or it might be cost at $10 to get to an abattoir. And when the price is dropping quite significantly, that then impacts those decisions. So you start making decisions about is it worth feeding my sheep to get them up to spec, you know, to go to an abattoir? Um, is it worth me sending them to a sale yard? I am hearing that that at Muche, all of the all of the sheep going through Muche are being sold, so there's none of the sheep being passed in. Um, what I've heard today, though, is that it's the livestock agents who are saying to farmers that sheep won't sell, don't send that one. So I've asked Deepa to investigate that because we obviously want more markets opening up. I know that the abattoirs have absolutely lifted capacity. They're operating at six days a week. So we today was about a first step in saying what can we do to assist. Deep Herd have been activating this sort of uh, dry season response, for want of a better term, since July when we knew that the, the season was going to be patchy. And today was a really positive meeting. Now, Jackie Jarvis, you um, have said in the past that you have tried to convince the Federal Agriculture Murray what to take another look at this policy to end the live sheep trade. Uh, haven't had much luck on that no. front. Do you think you'll have much luck on this front trying to convince him to kind of fast track um, the opening of more export, live export opportunities like the Saudi market? As I said, as long as this trade remains legal, we should be doing everything we can to open up new markets as quickly as possible. Uh, this on the text from Curtis, just amazed that Jackie Jarvis and the entire state Labor government have openly stated they support the live sheep trade, but they still won't strongly advocate to the federal government or even engage with groups of concerned parties that have respectfully tried to meet with her. No support at all, says Curtis. Uh, well, Curtis, I'm not sure which group you belong to. I have met with every farming group, every live export group, so I'm not sure if Curtis wants to meet with me and he's, he can send an email to my office. I meet with WA farmers often. John Hassel has my, my mobile number. He texts me often uh, as, just, does, as just PGA. Um, so I would uh, counter that claim that I'm not meeting with farmers. I do meet with farmers. I meet farmers in my electorate. My, my electorate covers southwest and much of the Great Southern. I meet farmers in my electorate. I talk to farmers all the time. So I know 
that there likes to be this sort of, you know, political banter that I'm not meeting with farmers I don't understand. I'm, I'm going to counter that by saying I meet with these groups all of the time and I'm happy to have these meetings. So I've actually double-checked with my office to say, is there any farmer or sheep producer or farmer representative group that has asked for me to meet with me and hasn't had the opportunity to meet with me. Now, sometimes Parliament's sitting and I, those meetings might be pushed back for a week or two, but I do my best to meet with everyone as soon as, as soon as they ask. Just quickly, you're just back from a trade mission to Thailand and Vietnam. Any market opportunities for the sheep industry in those markets? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I will start by saying I, I appreciate that Market opportunities in the export market are not going to solve the immediate issue. They are down the track, but we're really important to, to solve those issues down the track. The feedback I got from those markets was they love Australian meat. They don't really differentiate between the states. Part of the reason to have a ministerial visit is it actually opens doors. So we have investment and trade offices, WA government investment and trade offices in market who, who tell me that it's quite hard sometimes to get meetings with these major supermarket chains. And so me being there was able to sort of open a few doors and then we obviously hope those discussions will continue. So traditionally, um, a lot of those markets don't eat a huge amount of sheep meat. But what I can tell you is when you get there, you realise the population is so massive that you actually just need to corner a little bit of the market to actually make a significant difference to WA farmers. Really good to have you in the studio. Thank you so much for being here. Appreciate Thanks, it. Amanda, appreciate State it. Agriculture Minister Jackie Jarvis, who's uh, just called into the studio. She's been at a meeting for a couple of hours at Deep Herd headquarters talking to um, agricultural industry representatives and members from Deeper just looking at the seasonal conditions here and what might be done between sort of now and the end of the year. This is the country hour. It's two minutes to one. Off to the markets. 6,633 sheep and lambs were penned for sale at the Mushay market today. To go through the yarding and prices, Terry Birkin is here. Hello, Terry. Hi, Belinda. Numbers lifted by around 1,000 head today with predominantly large drafts of heavy mutton on offer and new season lamb showing improved weight and finish to previous weeks. Although the market saw higher rates today, this was mainly due to improved quality of stock in both lambs and heavy mutton with a fleece. A few seasonal paddock buyers were bidding today along with the usual buyers group but some of the main players still inactive. New season store lambs sold from $10 to $45 while light lambs were selling from $40 to $75 a head. New season trade lands returned 50 to 109 and heavy lands realised $133, while both old season merino ewe lands and hoggets ranged from $15 to $48 a head. The heaviest merino weather hoggets returned $55, while older weather sold to $49, with one pen of young dorper weathers reaching $75 a head. Bunny ewes returned 2 to $25, medium ewes were selling up to $35, and heavy ewes with a fleece sold to $60 while mature rams range from 5 to $40 a head. This is Terry Birkin for MLA's National Livestock Reporting Service. Terry, thank you for going through that. A couple of texts before the news. At one in response to Agriculture Minister Jackie Jarvis's comments. This from Peter. Going by her social media, Minister Jarvis has been putting in the hard yards for Vietnam beer and trade, brewers, The Voice and WA Hockey. We need representatives that represent with more than a soft touch, weasel words, or we need a new minister. And this from Michelle, the live sheep trade fiasco is all political. The government doesn't want to deal with the Saudis who are in the BRICS group. Other texts, we can't get to them all today, I'm afraid. On the ABC right across WA, time for the news, one o'clock. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.